episode 48. What I got right and wrong the second time around. Part one, what I got wrong. Welcome to the SaaS Venture Podcast. Sharing the adventure of leading and growing a bootstrapped SaaS company. Hear the experiences, challenges, wins, and losses shared in each episode from Aaron Waikie of Leadferno. Let's go. Welcome to the SaaS Venture Podcast. I'm Aaron Waikie, and I wanted to do a two-part series on being able to reflect on Leadferno now that we basically have three years since we broke code two full years since we went to market. And there's just been some things that I've noticed that I got both right and wrong from decisions that were made from the jump. And so I thought this would make for a good episode, um, a, a good uh, focus to break into two episodes and taking a look at, at what I got right and what I got wrong. And I thought I'd first start off in this episode with what I got wrong. And the basis of this is knowing like Leadferno is basically my second time around the block in SaaS. Now, my first company, I, I wasn't a founder. They already had a, a year into the product and made some of these decisions. Um, but I came in as a partner to lead sales and ultimately became the CEO of the company, helped grow it to an eight-figure acquisition. And there were definitely things in that I saw some of the early decisions and things there that I wish um, would have been different um, and things I wish I would have had a say in and other ones that they absolutely um, got right in theirs. So in seeing those early decisions um, and thinking about redos and getting this far within Leadferno and having them as well, uh, I just thought this would make a, a great look to be able to look at core decisions um, that I made solo or together with my co-founder, Joel, uh, that we didn't get right here in this first episode. My experience makes me feel like I should have gotten these things right. I've started multiple companies, um, digital marketing agencies, uh, even a business complete. My, my very first business I ever started was a uh, sports tour business. So like tickets, travel and lodging to professional sports, college sports, football, basketball games, things like that. But these decisions, when you get them wrong, are all kind of costly in different ways. Some of them compound. And no, no one is, is perfect. But some of these, I definitely do kick myself and I can see some of the reasons. And I'll try to elaborate why I got it wrong, why I was too hasty in a decision or uh, whatever else. But uh, nonetheless, uh, hopefully this is interesting and hopefully sharing these might help you lower your list of wrong when you go to make those years into your business, whether it's your first time, second time, or whatever time it is uh, founding a, a SaaS company. So the number one thing uh, that I got wrong was uh, creating the entity wrong. We are an LLC. And what I should have done is create Leadferno as a, a QSBS, right? Qualified small business stock. And really the biggest reason for this is then when you go to sell, you don't pay taxes based on a, on a few stipulations. And then already having gone through an exit and knowing whatever that lump sum amount is, that 30, 35% of that will eventually leave your hands, it's a very, very significant amount of money. And in my case, from the first exit, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
So the fact that there is an outlet based on how you're going to build your business and the size it is and things like that, that can save that if you uh, are able to achieve that success and that exit, it's definitely worth researching. So some of the stipulations are it needs to be a, a C corp, um, can't be an S corp. Uh, the one thing is it needs to be held for five years. And I think this was kind of one of my hangups. And it's just like anything else when we started the idea and you're so ready to get started and dig into day one and everything else. Five years feels so far away. And now three years in, we're more than halfway to what that five-year threshold would be. I can't imagine us exiting this business anywhere near, anywhere close to five years. It might be like our last one. I think we were about seven years in when the exit took place. But once you get into it, five years is, is nothing. I can't believe how fast these three years have gone. Um, so that was definitely misguided when uh, what's ever here and now in front of you in short term just takes precedence over something more medium or long term. Uh, you can't be over 50 million. And so I just don't think uh, I didn't ever have a plan for Leadferno to grow that large. If it, would have, if it does grow that large, I would be incredibly surprised. What I am trying to do is create something that does anywhere from five to 15 million in annual recurring revenue. That's kind of the slot I'd like to get it to um, before taking an exit. Still a ton of work uh, to get it to that point. But that $50 million cap for most bootstrap founders, uh, that's not going to be a problem. And so, you know, not uh, exploring, weighing this out a little bit more. I can remember when we did our incorporation, LLC was so fast and easy to do online. And we were anxious to get an account with our uh, core SMS provider so we could start up an account with them and start looking at the API docs and everything else. So the combination of incorrectly viewing how long five years really was and what would go on, as well as being excited to start and get some first things going, that made me just bulldoze through that decision. So that's definitely a poor decision number one that I would love a, a redo on to go back in time. Uh, the next one gets into uh, the product and, and how it's built. And I've listened to so many podcasts myself where people really heavily talk about, you know, build with what you know, what you've done before, what you've proven to be effective, reliable. You know, in both my case and my co-founder, Joel, neither one of us are technical founders. Joel is far more technical than I am. He knows his way around some code bases and approaches and, and everything else where I'm fluent in being able to speak about specific code stacks and what goes into things um, and elements and, and stuff like that. But no, I can't write it. And so... Within that, uh, and, and this one will be interesting because you will hear it on both uh, this wrong episode as well as our right episode, but we knew we wanted to build with a language that would allow us to build across um, platforms because we wanted both a, a web and mobile app versions of our product. And we selected Flutter based off a couple different things. One, my co-founder Joel spent a decade at Google. I give him a hard time all the time. He is definitely... Um, still drunk off the Google Kool-Aid. And so Flutter is a uh, Google product, um, a Google uh, language. And so I think that that hedged us a little bit there. Also, Flutter had a lot of uh, buzz then because of its newness and some of the things going on with it. And just like anything else, when you're selling 
hope and what's going to be possible and everything else, uh, that definitely can catch your attention. It can turn something into kind of being the, the buzz or the hot item, the hot topic. With that, it really kind of comes down to two aspects. There's Flutter Web and then Flutter Mobile. Um, and a whole bunch of it is uh, reusable, but there's certain aspects for each application that are a little bit different. So no matter what, we needed to choose something like this. The other would be using like React um, and then React Native, uh, things like that. But we went with Flutter. And what became obvious to us um, from feedback from our engineers once we got a little further in is Flutter Web was just sadly underwhelming. And since we were starting with web for our product, that, that's our whole idea was let's get our beta up in uh, Flutter on the web and use it that way, that way power users and so many other things. And then we would uh, do a fast follow with our mobile apps. Well, there are just so many challenges and aspects and elements to Flutter web. It's 1.0 version was just really rough, missing a lot of things. It's definitely gotten better over the last three years. It's received a couple version increments and improvements and things like that. Uh, some things very basic that already is available in something else uh, seem to take years uh, to make it into Flutter Web. And so that just really made some of it brutal and, and hard um, and affected uh, some of the other things that I, I, I was wrong about. So... This one will probably be the biggest toss-up because I'll spend some time on uh, Flutter as well on what we got right. Um, and so this one is just really hard to judge by. I'd probably need to go through the full experience to make a full decision on Flutter to completely have two paths on one way or the other. I think the moral of this lesson he is here, you know, at the end of the day, you can only do so much research, figure so much out. I don't even know if we understood as much about the difference between web and mobile and just both of them being at different maturity points and, and things like that. Um, but you can't waste all of your time in research uh, or trying to make sure you're right. What we definitely should have done is probably talk to some very experienced Flutter experts first and have a real complete lay of the land um, and then done the same thing with like React and then taking a look at those two. So the next one kind of plays into this in uh, just as I mentioned, like uh, talking to those who are really experienced with Flutter to get a the real correct view of it and how it was going to fit into our product and pros and cons, what we'd have to live with and what would be great about it. We really kind of only saw what would be great about it. Another area where we just probably didn't decide right and made some incorrect decision was vetting our developers and engineers uh, to start with. A couple different things. Hopefully, I'll uh, explain these right. Um, one, uh, Joel and I wanted to be very intentional with trying to hire female engineers. We wanted um, to be more diverse since we were both male co-founders. And so we wanted that. So uh, lucky enough, Joel had a contact who had actually started a development uh, shop, a, a fulfillment agency to help staff teams or take on projects that was specifically focused on females. Uh, they were also focused offshore, uh, located in Central America. There's another thing I wanted. My past company, our development team was uh, all in Poland. And there's both pros and cons uh, to that, um, but you always wanted more overlapping time. So being able to get time zones that were 
more overlapping where more of a majority of our days and me being on central time and Joel being on Pacific time uh, would, uh, would align well with our team. So we went ahead with this agency, communication was great, all of those things. And again, we were so excited to get started and we knew so little about Flutter ourselves and not having built anything in it or gone through a build and a release and all the different uh, nuances, we really didn't ask enough questions or vet people hard enough on their Flutter experience and what they really understood. And so that really crept in as we got going. And there just seemed to be a lot of either challenges, not understanding nuances between dependencies and libraries. There's definitely a lot uh, I don't know if you'd call it controversial or interesting things just around state management uh, with Flutter. And so these were all things that we just didn't explore. And it really ended up being something by not vetting our devs hard enough. We we're basically paying our devs to learn it as well. They might have been somewhat familiar, uh, understood the concept, could get started with it, but really hadn't gone through the experience to not only build, but but ship with it. And that just became so apparent to us about four, five, six months in that we just weren't hitting upon it the right way. And ultimately what we had to do on it, because it's one of those, as, again, as a non-technical founder, but someone who has built and led teams building so many different pieces of software from my agency days, building apps and websites um, and all kinds of you know, little uh, software tools. And then uh, building the last SaaS company, it just you know didn't smell right, didn't taste right. Just you could tell things were were wrong by some of the the roadblocks we were running into and the timing uh, things were taking. So what I ended up doing is uh, going to Twitter and just started stalking people that had Flutter in their bios that were talking and tweeting about Flutter and things like that. And I ended up connecting and getting the attention of someone who I could tell was like living, breathing, eating, sleeping, flutter. And we brought him onto the team in just a, a short-term contract. And he spent 90 days with us and he was able to just outline so many of these things. He was also able to translate a lot of the challenges into just like plain English for uh, Joel and I so that we could understand the pros and cons and nuances and things like that. He was also able to act as kind of a, a Sherpa uh, or a mentor towards the rest of the team. And so within that 90 days, he helped us. Uh, it, it really kind of reset the team. And to some extent, I think it kind of saved our product. I think it just would have set us back so much further in time if we wouldn't have brought him on. Now, the downfall of that, it was very expensive. Uh, we spent a lot of money to uh, have his expertise and to be able to plug it in immediately and have him doing, you know, all kinds, not only doing some of the work, but uh, mentoring some of our other developers as well. Um, and just getting the alignment on the team and bringing everyone's uh, knowledge up to speed and everything else. So the loss here is on one side, you know, instead of leveraging where Team Marty had experience, some of them had experience in React and some other things um, for the front end. This obviously, you know, didn't cause any issue. Our back end is Node. Um, so that was never an issue with it. But we basically paid for our front-end developers uh, to learn Flutter on our dime and on our project. And unless you have really huge reasons for that, when you're bootstrapped, even though you know we had raised uh, some angel, 
investment, like that's not the most efficient use of our funds and surviving and getting to cash flow um, and being, you know, it, in the black with things. I will say as a complete disclaimer, I am incredibly glad we have the humans we have. I love our team. I love our staff and so many other things, but it costs us a lot of time and money. And those are two things that will absolutely kill your company, running out of money and running out of time. And those things go really hand in hand. So the whole Flutter web thing uh, definitely was um, tough and not vetting our devs really compounded that one. Okay, number four, the thing I got wrong, time to market, right? And this was getting uh, us to having a, our first paid version where we could actually take money um, from someone. You know, I can't remember how many months it is now off the top of my head, but within four or five months, we had our beta version. And initially, you thought we'd be able to have a paid version in like four months. That's just what we thought from our experience and what we're looking to build and what we thought we were getting a hold of. We thought about four months and then it became clear it was going to be six and then eight months and ultimately ended up right about at 10 months. And obviously the things that I just talked about, the Flutter web and its immaturity and its uh, challenges and things like that. And then Joel and I just not understanding Flutter enough to vet our team enough or bring in someone who could vet for us. There's so many ways we could have made better decisions uh, regarding those things and we didn't. And that led to bad predictions in time to market. And so that was more time where we weren't bringing any money in. We weren't getting feedback from actual paid customers instead of those just testing out for free and being kind and giving it some use. Um, so all of that kind of you know combined and cost us a, a little bit more and definitely cost us uh, time to get to market. Where again, that whole time and money thing, that's a, that's a repeatable. Those are, are two of your biggest enemies. The next one uh, that I got wrong, number five here, is marketing. And I just wouldn't have thought I would get this one wrong. And I definitely didn't get it completely wrong. But let's just say what I knew and what had worked for me in the past in so many different uh, digital agencies that I founded or came on as a partner and help grew, what I was able to do at GatherUp is that just strictly being focused on inbound marketing. I'd always done that. The content game and social media um, and SEO and everything else, like those are things that I know that I've done, that I'm experienced in. I have others that are like crazy experts and little facets of it that I can go to inside my um, sphere and be able to ask for help or point me in a direction, give me answers. But I think the industry, the maturity uh, of the market, also certain things about where our product is, Inbound alone wasn't going to be enough. We didn't have enough steam and enough inertia to grab enough attention there to be having enough demos and getting people to talk to us and making them aware of our product. And I probably hesitated a little bit too long to start looking into other things, right? When you've done something and you've seen it work, you kind of forget some of the timeframes of it. And so you don't know always how to compare things the, the right way. And while there's some progress, you keep thinking, oh, just a little bit more. I just need to be featured in one more article or talk to this person who gets me to this person, um, have this term start ranking, all these different things where you just kind of tell yourself just to be patient. And there is a certain amount of patience with inbound, right? Inbound is not a do it today, get 
results tomorrow uh, type of strategy and, and tactic. But I should have realized that uh, a little bit earlier. I definitely would have been better off realizing it right from day one. The good news is we have finally reacted to that. You'll know a few episodes back uh, I've talked and in the future I'll update more. We've implemented uh, cold email. I do podcasting, not this podcast, but I host another podcast now that we launched last year in Q4 called Conversion Cast. That focuses on having digital marketing guests come on. And so we want to help give our customers who are both small business owners, marketers, agencies that are uh, reselling us to their clients to get them more conversions. I want to give them more education, help them build more traffic, help them understand conversion better. Uh, so we're using that as well, as well as some of uh, uh, the other channels that we've added. So I definitely would have been better off understanding that marketing uh, from day one, I should have looked into other avenues and aspects and not just leaned on the one thing that had gotten me that far without thinking through how has the market changed, how has competition changed, what are the things that are, others were competing against doing uh, to grab attention and get in front of people. Because really, at the end of the day, there's nothing more that I need than to be talking to prospects, giving them a demo of our product. When we do those, my conversion rate is very solid. It fluctuates between 35 to 50% of getting that demo in, into a free trial. And so it's just so incredibly important to make them aware that Leadferno exists. And I continue to work on getting better to that and growing that awareness out there. And then the last one relates uh, to this as well. And that's we should have saved some of our angel investment for marketing dollars. And we didn't. We spent it all on product. Um, I wish I would have set aside, right? We raised over uh, half a million dollars in angel in investors. And I should have set aside 75 to 100K, at least for marketing, no matter what, that I shouldn't have touched. Um, and I think this is one of those, this is completely me solo. Um, or a lot of these others had, you know, Joel and I making decisions and each of us trying to get things going and achieve. We we made a lot of those mistakes together, but marketing and then this one saving money for marketing, like this is definitely all on me. Um, and this is the one that kind of like nags at me a little bit that I have a harder time uh, letting go of. Now, some of the things that factor in this, I don't know what that would have cost us if we froze our budget um, and saved that money when we were already behind time and behind schedule. What would it have cost us in time to getting to market the features we built, um, some of the growth that has now happened. But I do know for where we're at right now that the lack of a marketing budget is absolutely hamstringing the growth rate we are right now because I've expanded to cold email and I've gotten a return on investment that works there. And being able to scale that or be able to uh, do more paid and introduce some of these other uh, campaigns and test some others that uh, we could see what the return on investment would be. I'm just not able to do that because I don't have the budget to do it. We are just sitting right at ebbing and flowing profitability right now based on a decision or two we make every month. We might be a couple dollars over, we might be a couple dollars under. We're just right riding along that line. And so my whole goal is to create, you know, another uh, 10k cushion that will allow us to be able to start to earmark some money for the marketing budget to, to fuel sales. But yes, in a perfect world, if I could go back and just put 75 to 100K aside and pretend like it's not there, 
until we saw, you know, kind of that, whether it's product market fit or we're version complete, or we start to see that really our biggest channel is getting attention and getting in front of people and then deploy that money towards that. I should have done that. So if you raise some money, I definitely get the saying, like, if you're saving that money for something, you never get to that point anyway, what good does that do you? But I I should have thought through the success side, like I will build a good product. It might take a little bit longer. We might have to cut some corners, whatever that might be, but I need to save some um, fuel to throw on the fire once there is that little bit of flame there. So that really might be the, the biggest one. Some of the others I can live with. I really wish we had that. I think it would make this next phase of growth even better. We are still growing despite that, but boy, it could have been a lot easier. So, and I think that's the overall theme, right? You're not going to get everything right. You still can succeed despite making some of these bad decisions, right? It's to have as few of them as possible. Uh, so I do have some uh, gratitude and grace for myself that this list isn't 15 things when I started putting it up on, on a whiteboard. But, you know, the the above definitely have led um, to other decisions that we make along the line to help correct those. And sometimes those are better decisions for you and things like that too. So, you know, just like uh, this podcast is titled The SaaS Venture, it's about the adventure and you're going to have some missteps. You're going to have some pitfalls. You're just going to have some things that you have to overcome. And some of those end up being um, some of the good things as well. So I think in summary to close this out in taking a look at, at what I got wrong is you really should, when you get into these decisions early on, focus on number one, weighing out the short-term and long-term and big decisions like the, the entity type. Don't let your excitement rush you into making a decision without making sure you have enough, right? You're never going to have everything you need to make the most sound or safe decision. And you definitely win by making decisions fast based on what you have, but you need to weigh out those right things. Uh, make sure you figure out what you build with that make sure that that you or your team is, is ready for it, right? And you can get ready by having others uh, weigh in, asking the right questions, pushing far enough, examples, whatever that, that might be, but make sure they are or you are ready for it. Be prepared to find out what works in marketing and sales, right? And there's so many other, I, I listen to so many other bootstrap podcasts and just others in the industry, even if they're at a, at a funded is distribution is really everything, right? It's so much about getting marketing and sales going. So make sure that you're prepared to find out what works for you in marketing sales. And the same thing that's worked for you in the past, even for me, it had worked for decades, was no longer good enough to just work all by itself with this product, in this environment, with this competition, whatever that might be. And I should have been prepared right from day one to start testing those out. So I could have um, figured out what does work earlier instead of later. And the last one, make sure you're saving or earmarking money for when you get traction. Do you have the right things to fuel the next phases? I get you want to push all your chips in because there is no phase two or phase three if you don't get phase one or phase two accomplished. But if you put everything on the table to get through that phase and you are still doing the right things and whatever else, you might really cost yourself how long you sit in that next phase or even stalling out in that phase. So again, that one definitely has some hair splitting and some what ifs and some gotchas in it, but I absolutely should have done that. So with that, I hope this episode on what I got wrong the second time around is uh, helpful to you, especially if you're in that planning stage 
or maybe you're getting towards the end of your first time around or second time around. And this helps you create a list of and refactors what you really want to get right for the next time you go on it. Because let's face it, this whole starting and growing, and if you get the opportunity to sell or, or exit, it's addicting. You'll, like, you'll most likely be a repeat offender if, you get to, if you're able to do those things. Even failing multiple times is common and happens until you get it right. And each time you're trying to learn and, and get a little better. So hopefully these have been helpful. As always, I appreciate you listening. I always love getting feedback, whether that's via Twitter or in the DMs, LinkedIn. Please connect with me there. Please give me feedback. I would love it if this is helpful and you left a review. Seeing that there's a good amount of reviews on a podcast helps someone else their very first time choose to listen to it. And I especially love when you give me referrals in other forums or groups you're part of things like that. I love when I see a a link inside one of those contributing listeners. So hopefully uh, you found this helpful and you want to pay it forward by by sharing this episode. So with that, stay tuned. In a couple of weeks, I will jump back on the mic and uh, it'll feel a little bit better to talk about what I got right. Um, The list uh, is maybe not as many, but there's definitely things uh, that I got right and things uh, worth talking about um, that I got right the second time around. So As always, thanks for listening. Have a great one. And I'll be back in your headphones soon.